The podcast you are about to hear tells the story of a Katsi man named Slumuk. Members of the Katsi First Nation have been instrumental in us telling the story properly. We acknowledge that the story of Slumuk originates from the ancestral lands of the Katsi people. What you're about to hear, you may find graphic and violent in nature. Listener discretion is advised. The curse. Do I believe in it? I don't know if I believe in in curses in general, but I do believe that there is a power that is higher. As an indigenous person, my mind goes towards spirituality. So I find a misalignment between spirituality and, and what is quote unquote a curse. So I believe that as a Katsi person coming from these lands and territories, belonging to my family and my bloodline with a connection to my ancestors, I do feel like there's a spiritual force that is big and that just might have, you know, some direct link to Slumach and the, what has happened. And I've heard from elders in my life who are descendants and are elders of mine who are alive and well today that believe that will probably stay within our family and it's not meant to be. And we have lots of stories, right? We have lots of myths and legends about, you know, things that are, are not meant for other people. They're meant for Katsi people. Um, we have myths and legends and spiritual practices that are only meant for certain families that belong to Katsi First Nation. So I think that this is kind of along the lines, I think, you know, in a contemporary sense, it's probably called a curse, but I think there's something much more spiritual, much more visceral that's at play here. <laughs> so, you know, with that in, I think I do believe in the curse. I think I do. I mean, with so much human concentrated efforts to go and find, you know, this lost gold mine. How is it possible that it, it hasn't been found with the amount of resources and time and energy that has been spent in it for decades upon decades upon decades? So I feel like there's a force that's greater than us. Call it a curse, call it spiritual faith, uh, call it what you will. I believe there is something there, yes. I'm Crew Williams, and this is Dead Man's Curse, Slumox Gold. Episode 12, The Legend Continues. On this journey, we've attempted to sort fact from fiction and give Slumok a voice from beyond the veil. If you've been along with us since the beginning, you'll know we've had a host of experts and members of the Katsi and Stolo First Nations join us to investigate the curse and the legend of Slumok and his lost gold mine. At the beginning of this episode, you heard from Len Pierre, educator, consultant, traditional knowledge keeper, and descendant of Slumok, Tell us his feelings about the curse of Slumuk's lost gold mine. Now, you might remember that during the first episode, I told you about my own unexplained experience up on Mamquant Mountain. Twelve podcast episodes and many expeditions later, I still think about that moment. I had one of the most vivid dreams of my entire life. The kind where I felt I could reach out and touch it. Touch it. Let's keep it real. How often do you run into something you can't explain on the top of a mountain, high up in the glacier fields, <laughs> you know, in the middle of nowhere? 
The fact we made it out alive after that was like step one done. This is how our way shower Don Froze looks at things, but it's not how I looked at things. And then you start coming across research and information on mountain expeditions that went wrong, people who went missing, and finding out that, oh yeah, by the way, there could be supernatural entities living in the high places. I mean, this correlates with multiple religions and cultures, and it's like, ain't nobody told me this. We were meant to go out and find some gold. And the next thing you know, I'm out here dealing with glaciers and ghosts. That just changes the way you look at everything. I could see how crazy prospectors became crazy prospectors. They say fortune favors the bold, and so adventure treasure seekers go to unexplored places, be it sacred burial grounds or a healing oasis that gives life. For centuries, if not millennia, these locations are hidden until one day they're discovered by someone. That was a big awakening for me, realizing that there's a much bigger picture than myself. This isn't about gold anymore. This is about injustice to an individual and a culture. And that's made it more real than anything I've ever felt before. But then you had the supernatural. And I can't argue with that. Because it happened to me. I felt something on my lips. It just changed my whole view on this entire legend, the entire mystery, and the gold. In our journey, we were able to confirm there was gold. How much and where? That's still unknown. But now I know it's out there. Throughout our journey, the main truth seeker from our team, Taylor Starr, learned quite a bit about Slumunk, finally separating the man from the terrible reputation in the press and the legend. But I want to learn more who he was, but just the whole fact that he wasn't what the newspapers said that he was and what the, like, what some of the books said that he was. He was a completely different person. And I was kind of glad he wasn't that newspaper character that they made him to be. So I was really glad that he wasn't that, but he's something completely different. What Slimak was to me was just a man trying to live his life in, in his community. Like he was just trying to live his life and just continue on from there. As we've learned over the course of this season and while researching and filming the TV series, Slumak's story was in many ways shaped by early European colonization of British Columbia and Canada. We've unearthed some of the ways in which his story and his name were maligned and tarnished. And at the center of it all was the legend, which you might remember as being, in the late 1800s, a brash young indigenous prospector named Slumak came into New Westminster from Pitt Lake, flashing gold nuggets as big as walnuts, and spending his fortune on women and alcohol. Sentenced to death for murdering a man to protect the secret of his gold, Slumuk uttered a curse from the gallows. Nika memlus mine memlus. When I die, the mine dies. Our investigation into Slumuk's life uncovered that Slumuk was not a young indigenous prospector. 
He was an elderly man in his 60s or 70s at the time he shot Louis B, probably in self-defense. He also wasn't all that brash. Instead, he lived much of his life alone in a cabin just outside the closest Catesy village, out of reach of the rigidity of the British colonial system that sprang up around him, seemingly overnight. After the death of Louis B, and once the authorities were on his trail, Slumuk lasted six weeks in the bush before he surrendered at the behest of his nephew. The short trial under British colonial law meant he couldn't say much in his own defense, and so Slumuk said nothing. The traditional Catesy justice process was never even considered. And so we offered an alternative to the tragic end on the gallows. From the initial killing of Louis B to his execution for murder, Slumuk's story was covered extensively by the local press, but there was no mention of gold. No gold nuggets, no gold dust, nada. However, we know that Peter Pierre spent time with Slumak towards the end and helped him prepare for his transition into the spiritual realm. In return, Slumak offered Pierre a crucial bit of information, a map to where he had once found gold. We know, according to Amanda Charnley, that after Slumak's execution, Pierre went looking for the gold and broke his hip during the attempt. He never went back. In the 50 years that followed, we know that Slumak was stereotyped as a wild, uncivilized savage, and he was blamed for unspeakable crimes in the press and in pulp fiction. They did this as entertainment and as a part of centuries-long colonial enterprise. This fueled prospector after prospector being lured into the pit region to search for Slumak's lost treasure. Many befell hard times and even certain death. But there was no spoken curse, not until 1951, when Nika Memlus Mein Memlus was attributed to Slumak in print. And the only copy of the article we could find, a scan of the original on microfilm at the Vancouver Public Library, has a crease cut directly across what were supposed to be Slumak's words, blurring them for eternity. Now, that's what we do know. But I've still got unanswered questions surrounding this murder mystery from history. One thing that sticks out for me in this glacial, frozen case that nobody wants to talk about is the alleged involvement of some of the richest elites in the oldest city of BC. In our investigation, we found that one of the richest families in the area paid for a steamship and a posse to go up into the pit out into the bush in the middle of nowhere to look for an indigenous man over the death of what they deemed to be a half-breed they didn't even respect. All of this to capture an elderly indigenous man in the middle of the woods? Why? Why would they do this? And they didn't just attempt to arrest him. They burnt everything he owned to the ground. I mean, they made sure he either came in or died. And in the process, they threatened the Catesy community and moved them kilometers away to a reservation and said straight up, none of you can support them or talk about them. And if you do, we're going to do the same to you. And it's like, what the hell's really going on? 
It seems people had to have vested interests in Slumok's demise. Like, how do you go against the richest families in New Westminster at that time? How are you expected to defend yourself in a court of law when they just want to hang you? When your life depends on court proceedings in a language you don't even speak? The way it sounds now, the whole Louis B. thing could have been a setup for all I know. Maybe Louis B. was out there trying to press him for that gold. I mean, who really knows? Let's keep it real. Slumuck had no chance. And just to freaking hear that and see that, feel that, makes you wish you had a time machine so you can go back and kick some ass. The man came out of the bush with gold. Everybody wanted it, obviously. Somebody had something to do with what happened. And the more we dive into it, the deeper it gets and the more mysterious. And I want to find out as much as I can going forward. After all of our research and all the ground we've covered over the past 12 episodes, author and historian Brian Antonson also has many unanswered questions about Slumok, the legend, the curse, and the gold. To hear this ghoulish story that was kind of a scary horror story to be pushing 75 and still being interested is because it's, it, it's always renewing. It's always, uh, there's something new coming up. We want to know what happened between Slumac's death on January the 16th of 1891 and 1897 when there appeared uh, in the local newspapers uh, an offering, a share offering for a company called the Slumac Mining Company. I believe that was the exact uh, uh, name. Where did that come from? Like, how did those in those six years, relative small, relatively small span of time, how did something circulate? And nobody's ever found anything in the newspapers of the day, which were the media of the day. And beyond Aunt Mandy's telling of maybe something that uh, her father, Peter Pierre, did uh, in the intervening time, nobody's found a reason for that. Brian wonders how the founders of the Slumock Mining Company, which included the former mayor, the city clerk of New Westminster, and an editor at the Daily Columbian during Slumock's trial, came up with the company's name during a time when there was no evidence in court records or the press of Slumock being connected with gold. If you remember, we only had Amanda Charnley's retelling of the story that Slumock told her father about finding any gold. Now, conjecture. Well, it could have been that Peter Pierre uh, didn't find the mine because he broke his hip and had to be carried out. And so he said to somebody else, well, you know, the, the Slumac found some gold or something like that. So uh, so you better go out and check it up. Uh, better go up and check it out. And so what happened then was somebody formed a company. That's conjecture, but that's possible. The only, and, and this is uh, what Peter told Aunt Mandy, um, the only gold that Slumac had uh, came from two sources. So he had the, the gold bullets, and he also had this experience where he went to sleep on a flat rock, woke up and saw the rock beside him, had a little vein of gold, and he chiseled it out with his knife. That's the only gold. And Mandy, I, I'm quoting very close to, to what she said, that's the only gold that Slumac ever had. So how did that then become nuggets the size of walnuts thrown around the saloons in uh, New Westminster and all of that sort of stuff? 
what was it that happened between 1891 and 1897? We may never know exactly what happened during that time. But as Brian says, the story is ever-evolving. And we're always hungry for any new information that can lead us to the truth. And more specifically, the curse. Slumac's spirit, you know, still comes and goes. That's the way shore from our team, Don Froze. And uh, when we were out on the pit, you know, Taylor and I could, you know, sense the presence of our, of our ancestors. We could sense the presence of, of where Slumac walked. And as time goes on, um, if it's meant to be, we will see more signs and more revelations of where, not only where he was, but we'll feel his, his energy. And um, it's a real thing, but that's, that's positive. I mean, that's, that's what you want. I, I think we'd be more concerned if we didn't feel that, because then we could get blindsided by, by the curse. So the curse is real, for sure. But the curse is, all, uh, is also something that can be worked with. And um, the curse is actually, to know that there's a curse is actually an advantage. And, and so we know going into this that if there's some words spoken in regards to a curse that is, has been placed on a location or on an object or on a person, we're able to prepare for that, and it's it's and you can actually then navigate through a curse. So a curse is not like slamming the door in your face. A curse is still an open door, but if you go through that opening, you have to then have the proper tools and and be spiritually prepared because it is it does at that point become a spiritual journey to deal with the curse. And if, if you are knowledgeable about going into it, then it's your responsibility to prepare yourself to how to deal with it. And if you, if you don't deal with it, then you're going to get hurt. Those were some heavy words from Don, but that is exactly why he's been our wayshore since the beginning. When I had my supernatural encounter, he told me to listen. And that's what I've tried to do, not just to him, but also a few members of Slumuk's family lineage including Taylor and Len Pierre, who, if you remember, spoke with us in the previous episode. Like Taylor, he wants more clarity on what actually happened to his ancestor. Beyond that, however, Len is also intrigued by the curse itself. You know, if you look at myths and curses among other people who have, have survived things, or not survived things, but have died, you know, because of, of really violent things. I mean, this is where we get stories about haunted houses and haunted work mines and, and all of those that are all over North America, right? I believe that's a part of that narrative too, because there is this suffering that has happened by a human being, right? Uh, by a human spirit. And then that spirit can kind of linger on. Like this is where we get haunted stories from. 
So I believe there's definitely a relationship there for, you know, Slumok not being buried in his own land and territories, let alone after, you know, what happened to him in his life. But then also, you know, related to the curse itself, I think that I would also like to do my own cultural research in terms of curses um, and spiritual practices that pertain to when people covet something or, or have something very near and dear to them, uh, and then they pass on that has spiritual ramifications. Uh, and we know this in, in our Coast Salish uh, culture. Those are more questions that I have that I'll probably look, be looking into with my elders and my knowledge keepers around what's the relationship between uh, us as Coast Salish people and, and what happens when we die with the things that are very near and dear to our heart, our possessions. Over the course of 12 episodes, we've walked the same path and slept under the same star Slumok did over 150 years ago. We learned that his fate was shaped by powerful cultural, political, and economic forces that completely transformed his world. We've been entrusted to invoke his name and to rewrite his legacy over a century later as we search for truth and, if we're being honest, for gold. Adam Palmer, my Dead Man's Curse teammate, mountaineer and historian, thinks, like all of us, that one of the bigger mysteries is, of course, where the gold is located. Where do you start? I mean, we've, we've had all these points and these areas to start searching and looking f- to fill those gaps and provide answers to, to where this lost gold mine might be or would have been, but no one's ever had conclusive evidence or solid leads to where to actually start. And that's, that's I think if you find that, you know, you find volcanic ground where he was, that's your starting point. So right now we're kind of just, you know, we have a bunch of dots and a bunch of targets and, you know, hopefully they're connecting, but we don't, it's all been kind of A, Z, D, M, you know, it's, it's, it's never been an A, B, C, D, right? It's just always been all over the map, literally. Adam thinks the legend of Slumox treasure and its whereabouts is tightly connected to Volcanic Brown. In episode 10, we shared that Volcanic Brown was one of BC's most successful and famous prospectors and was heavily featured in the press. If anyone could have found Slumok's hidden mine, it would have been him. I say, you know, you find Volcanic Brown's body, you find the gold. Well, there's more truth to that than what it sounds like because you know, his gold teeth is a sure identifiable way of, of identifying his remains. Um, so it's, it's such an, uh, it's such an intriguing mystery because it's, it's a fact. I don't want to downplay the importance of Slumac because Slumac in a way has brought us, um, into the natural history part of it. But, you know, I have these two sides. I have an interesting, you know, prospector, crazy guy looking for gold that's real. And then you have Slumac, a real person with family lineage and history that goes back thousands of years. So in a way, it's been an avenue to teach people who they, you know, who's here before them. And, uh, and, then, and then you go to the volcanic ground side and that's, that's the legend side. That's the gold. That's to me, that's if you want to look for the gold, you go to that side. Does volcanic brown hold the key? Volcanic Brown was a very smart man. He was an entrepreneur. He wasn't dumb. Is that who we need to look at next as we unravel this centuries-old mystery? So to get to the truth, if you're looking for a lost gold mine, you know, 
you, either the best chances are to find out who was a prospector looking for gold. <laughs> and that would have been Volcanic Brown. We know that Slumak's story is not over, and neither is our search. Until next time, I'm Crew Williams, and I want to thank you for joining me and becoming part of the legend of Dead Man's Curse, Slumak's Gold. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> Dead Man's Curse, Slumak's Gold is written by Ernest White II and Dila Velasquez. Our producers are Jessica Young and Dila Velasquez. Editing and sound design by Rob Johnston and Rosalind Kofor. Our associate producers are Valerie Hold Mershon and Gail Starr. Our indigenous cultural and heritage consultant is Gail Starr. Our executive producers are Chris Duncombe, Ernest White II, Michael Francis, Tim Hardy, and David Way. Dead Man's Curse is a curious cast and great Pacific media production. 